0: We'll be in Romans tonight, Romans chapter 16. We'll be looking at the last three verses. Actually, a statement in there is what will be the basis for the message tonight. And the name of the message is How do I know that my gospel is the gospel? How do I know that my gospel is the gospel? Romans 16, verses 25 to 27. Paul writes this, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel, in the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. So the question for us tonight that I'd like us to ponder is, how do I know that my gospel is the gospel? The gospel that I believed? How do I know that it's the gospel? And we'll look at six different answers. And the gospel is defined as good news, right? And the gospel in the scriptures is good news for sinners is good news for sinners. Now, there are numerous denominations out there which claim to have the gospel. They claim to have the gospel. Numerous people get up each Sunday and claim to preach the gospel. But how do we know that the gospel, which we believe is the gospel, and this is a good question for us to ask. And I'd like to look at some points, as I said, from Scripture to tell if the Gospel you believe, the Gospel I believe, is the Gospel. As I said before, there's many who claim to preach the Gospel. There's many who claim to preach the Gospel, but there's no blood in their message. It's a what you would call a bloodless gospel. Well, we know from Scripture without the shedding of blood there's no remission for sin. So that, we can we can we can look at Scripture and, and deduce from Scripture that that's a false gospel. That's a false gospel. There's many men who get up and preach. I sampled one of the local preachers for ten minutes and shut it off. No blood. Christ mentioned once in ten minutes. Click. Now, why, some folks would say, well, why did you do that? Well, so I can know and, and, and know that these men, are they preaching the gospel? Nope. Nope. Didn't take me long. So, good question for us to ask. How do I know that the gospel, my gospel is the gospel, the gospel that I believe? Well, again, many get up and they tell sinners what they have to do. They get up and they say, oh, you've got to do this, just keep doing this. When they walk the aisle or pray a prayer, there's still a whole list of things they've got to keep doing. But the gospel preacher preaches about one who's done it all. One who's done it all. The gospel we believe, the gospel of, of, that God's elect believe, is the gospel of it is finished. It's good news for sinners. It's really good news for sinners. I remember an old grace preacher telling me this a long time ago. And this is what you deduce really quickly when you hear someone preaching a false gospel. He told me that one cannot tell of someone they don't know. Why do we preach Christ and Him crucified? Because we know Him. Because He saved us. He's revealed Himself to us. He's redeemed us from all our sins. To know Christ is to preach Christ. To preach Christ is to know Christ. It's all about what he has done. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Spurgeon had a motto that a lot of us, grace preachers, Agree with fully, we preach Christ and Him crucified. We, preach, we don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ. We preach Him. Look at 1 Corinthians, starting in verse 21 of chapter 1. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, We didn't know God before we were saved. That's all of us. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Sister Karen, you said you heard the Gospel when Henry Mahan preached the Gospel. You heard By the foolishness of preaching. That's how we hear the Gospel. And we believe. We're made willing. The ears are unstopped. We may have been in religion. We may have just been outrightly not even in religion, but just lost just as much as a person in religion is lost. And we heard the shepherd's voice just like that. And we run to him. Please God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach, look at this, we preach Christ crucified. This is what the gospel preacher preaches Christ and Him crucified. And he's risen again. Oh, we preach a, a Christ who's done it all. And look at unto the Jews a stumbling block. They stumbled over Christ. Unto the Greeks, foolishness. We were talking today at lunch about how how the how the the, the gospel at first when we hear it before we're saved and 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 it it's just foolishness to us. And the people who are really intelligent. They they can't explain it rationally, so to them it's foolishness. But, But to we who believe, it's not foolishness anymore, is it? It's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's good news. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God. Oh, He's the power of God. And the wisdom of God. Look at this, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God, the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye you see your calling, brethren. How that not many wise, not many wise? After the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble or cold, but God hath called the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the, the things that are mighty. <laughs> in the base things of the world, in things which are despised that God chose, and yea, in things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are, that, it, that no flesh should glory in His presence. None. There be no glory in, in the presence of God about what we've done. We'll be given Him all the glory <laughs> and all the honor and all the praise. But we preach Christ crucified. That's what we preach. We don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ. And why? Because He's the sinner's only hope. He's the, he's the only one who can save a sinner. And how do we know this? Because He saved me. He saved you who believe. He's redeemed us. We're qualified for heaven. Remember Wednesday? We're made, we're made fit for heaven. Oh, it's marvelous marvelous. So we preach Christ crucified. This is the gospel preacher's cry. And it's all for His glory. Look at again at verse 29. That no flesh should glory in His presence. Oh, He gets all the glory. So let's get to our question. And we'll look at six answers to the question. How do I know that my gospel is the gospel? The first answer to that question is, it glorifies God. It glorifies God. The question to ask any time you hear a man preach, does the message that he preaches, does it give all the glory to God? And these are questions that, that we can ask as we listen to the preaching. Does it give God all the glory? Or does it center upon Him, the man who's preaching? Or does it center upon Christ? Does it center upon Him? Does it give God all the glory? And this is how I measure what a man preaches. When I listen, who gets the glory? Who gets the glory? So when we hear a man proclaim the gospel, we listen to hear who gets the glory. We listen for Christ too, don't we? Oh, we listen. But who gets the glory? If He's telling you what you have to do to measure up, to make it to heaven or he's telling you what you have to do in order to be saved like praying a prayer or walking on an aisle. It's just works-based salvation. If a person's spurring you on with various duties and things that you must perform, or is he telling you about the one who did it all? Is he telling you about the one who can save the vilest of sinners? Is he telling you about the one who can save you without you moving a muscle? Someone told me a couple weeks ago, well, God, yeah, but you gotta you got to run to Christ. And I said, God can save you without you moving a muscle. Because it's a heart work. And he must do it. He must do it. As I like to say, we're not. God's not dependent on us. We're we're dependent upon Him. Religion's got it backwards. Question to ask, is He proclaiming that you are at the mercy of God? That sinner, friend, you are at the mercy of God? This is why we say cry out, Oh, cry out, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Beg God for mercy. Is He telling you about the great sovereign God in Christ who saves whomever He wills? Is He telling you about a God who does, thing according, does everything according to his own pleasure? His sovereign choice, whom he saves and whom he passes by? Talking with three people today, and we were all sitting there, the four of us, and every one of us, or, or th- uh, three of us, we're the only ones in our whole family the Lord saved. passed by all our, the rest of our brothers and sisters. God's distinguishing grace. He saves whomever He wills. Now, some, some sinners will say, well, well, then it's all done. I can just do whatever I want. No. Only God knows who His elect are. We have no clue. That's why we preach and proclaim the Gospel to all. All sinner. That's why we say, Sinner, come to Christ. We know that the only way you're going to come is to be made willing. But we still say, Come, come, flee to Christ. Because if He makes you willing, you're going to run. and You're going to give Him all the glory. Because <laughs> it's all His doing. So it's easy to see who gets the glory with each of these answers, isn't it? in each of these questions, it's easy for us to see who gets the glory. If a man's telling you what you have to do to be saved and what you have to do to keep saved, then he's glorifying man. And he's not glorifying God. And it's works. And it's a salvation, a works-based salvation that will take you right to hell. But oh, if if the Savior has saved you, if He's redeemed you by His precious blood, He will keep you through every single trial you go through in this life. He will hold you. He will keep you because thou art mine. And he will, He's redeemed you. He's purchased you. And He's going to keep you. And He will. He keeps every one of His sheep. Praise be to God. He keeps them all. The Gospel preacher proclaims also that salvation is a full forgiveness. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 37. A full forgiveness in Christ alone. A full forgiveness. He covers all our sins, beloved. There's nothing left behind. It's wonderful news for sinners. Psalm 37, verse 39 and 40. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. You see, salvations of the Lord—he does it all. He is their strength in the time of trouble, and the Lord shall help them and deliver them. What does He deliver us from? All our sins, because sin—Scripture says sin has held captive the cords of sin. We couldn't—we could—we were prisoners, beloved, bound up. We couldn't set ourselves free, but He's set us free. He's delivered us. Free. He has delivered us. And deliver them, He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them. Oh, He saved us because they trust in Him. Who is our trust? Who is the object of our trust? Christ in Him alone. And the Gospel preacher tells you that we are at God's mercy. He's not up there wringing His hands trying to save no one. He saves whom He will. He saves whom He will. And therefore he gets all the glory and he gets all the honor and all the praise. And we just we give it all to him. Think of think of the gifts that we receive. The gifts, the ability to preach, the ability to lead songs like Brother John singing, the ability to play the piano, the ability to sing. All these are gifts from God. We don't even glory in those things. It's all him. He makes the preacher and to whom He makes the preacher. We have a message from God. He's given it to us. Oh, it's marvelous. It's marvelous. All gifts we have come from Him. So why glory in them? We can't. We give Him all the glory. We give Him all the glory. The next answer we will look at when asking the question, how do I know that my gospel is the gospel. The second answer is, it is true to the Old Testament Scriptures. It is true to the Old Testament Scriptures. It fulfills all the types and shadows in the Old Testament. Some believe, as I said, the Old Testament is just history, which was for the Jews. But the Old Testament, beloved, it contains pictures and types and shadows of Christ. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 24. And remember this. Always always remember this. Always remember this. That the apostles and even Christ Himself, they had the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. So whenever you see the Scriptures mentioned, it's the Old Testament. And they preached Christ. Paul preach Christ. When he said, we preach Christ crucified, from the Old Testament. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's marvelous. Look at this in Luke chapter 24, though. And remember this morning, we looked in Luke 4, when it said, and he began to say unto them, this day is the Scripture fulfilled in your ears. Remember, he was reading from the Old Testament, and Christ himself said that. Oh. Now, folks, some folks say that the God of the Old Testament is not the same as the God of the... Uh, Or the God of the Old Testament is not the same as the God of the New? Well, they don't know the Bible. Plain and simple. And I'm not trying to be condescending. It's just the truth. Because I know because I was there. You don't know. Because the Old Testament is full of Christ. Absolutely full of Christ. Let's look at this too. The two on the road to Aramaeus. Look at this. Luke chapter 24 starting in verse 25. We'll pick up right there. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now he's talking all the Old Testament there. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Look at this. Verse 27. I remember talking to, I I think I mentioned this before, talking to an old preacher and I I said, um, I said, Oh, to be a fly on the wall there. He says, We have it right here. (laughs) We have it right here. In beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in the Scriptures the things concerning himself. Oh, he unveiled the Old Testament showing them himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent, and he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and, and brake and gave it to them. And their ought, you remember how we always say, the gospel has to be revealed to you? Christ has to reveal himself? Look at this. And their eyes were opened. Oh, the blind eyes can see. Is that not what happened when we heard the gospel? Our blind eyes were opened. <laughs> Oh, it's marvelous. And they knew Him. Oh, they knew Him. And He vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our hearts burn within us? Oh, well, He talked with us by the way. And well, He opened to us the Scripture. See, He opened the Scripture. The Holy Spirit illuminated the Scripture for them. And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together unto them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. Oh, beloved, he's all through this this book. He's all through this book. In Genesis, he is the seed of the woman. He is the seed of the woman that we are told will one day crush Satan. And he did that at Calvary's tree. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. He's the Passover lamb. The sacrificial lamb given for us. In Leviticus, he's, we read of the high priest making sacrifices for the people. and Christ, our high priest made a perfect sacrifice. A perfect sacrifice of himself to atone for our sins. In Deuteronomy, Moses prophesied of a prophet who would come in the midst. and Jesus Christ, our Lord is that great prophet. He's that great prophet, beloved. In Joshua, Joshua meets the captain of the Lord's host. That's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ruth, Boaz is a picture of the kinsman, our kinsman, our kinsman redeemer. It's a picture of Christ who is our kinsman redeemer. In Esther, He is, the, he is our defender against the forces opposing us. In Job, He is the redeemer that is coming. Oh, He's coming again, Beloved. He will come again. In Psalms, He's the Lord our Shepherd. In many other pictures too. And there's many other pictures in all these different books too. In Proverbs, He's our wisdom. Oh, He's our wisdom. In Song of Solomon, He's our beloved. He's our beloved. Oh! In Isaiah, He's the sinner's substitute. He's the sinner's substitute. His name is Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In Jeremiah, he's the righteous branch. The Lord, our righteousness. Oh, he's our righteousness. In Daniel, he's the Son of God in the fiery fire. In Obadiah, he's mighty to save. Mighty to save. In Micah, he casts our sin into the sea of forgetfulness. It's gone. It's all gone. In Nehemiah, he's the avenger of God's elect and a stronghold in the day of trouble. In Zephaniah, he is our Savior. He's our Savior. In Zechariah, he's the fountain open for sin. Oh, in the house of David, and he's, we looked at today, he's Zion's king. He's Zion's king. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. Oh, and there's many, many, Many more pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. He's all through the Old Testament. All, and think of this too, all the sacrifices pointed right to our mighty Savior, our mighty Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. They point to Christ. Oh, we could never take away our sin, but those sacrifices pointed to the One. And remember too, all those people who offered those sacrifices, they couldn't take away sin, but they pointed to the One who will take away the sins of all his people. And he does this by his own precious blood. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Oh, the sacrifice of himself. So, the, how do I know the gospel is my gospel? It's true to the Old Testament scriptures. And I I know this personally because there was a time when when the Old Testament was just history to me. Now I see Christ everywhere. He's all over. All over. And I know it's so for you who believe too. I know there was a time when our eyes, we couldn't see anything. But now we see Him on every page. Hebrews chapter ten, starting in verse seven. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book; it is written of me to do Thy will, O God. Above, when He said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offering and offering for sin, Thou wouldest not; neither hadest Thou pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said He, Lo, I come to do Thy will, O God. Remember, He's on a mission, beloved. He's on a, He must go to the cross. He, remember, He said He must die. I must. I must be risen again. I must rise again. Then he said, "Lo, I come to do Thy will, O God. Not my will, but Thine will be done." He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and often offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. So all those sacrifices were pictures. It could never take away sin. But I, this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, and that's himself, beloved. He offers himself as the sacrifice for the sins of his people. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down. It's finished! <laughs> the work's done sat down oh what a mighty savior sat down on the right hand of God he is on the right hand of God right now right now from henceforth expect until his enemies be made as footstools so how do I know that my gospel is the gospel it's true to the Old Testament scripture The next answer to the question, how do I know that my gospel is the gospel, is it rests on the person and the work of Christ. This is absolutely vital. Absolutely vital. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ rests upon what He has done and not on what the sinner does. It's the opposite of religion. Religion makes a lot of noise about what you must do. And the preachers will tell you you what you have to do. Religion preaches a gospel. I mentioned this this morning and it's true. Religion pre- preaches a gospel that says, Sinner, save yourself. Because you've got to make a decision. You've got to walk an aisle. But grace preaches. Where the sinner cries out, God be merciful to me. A sinner. And then scripture goes on to say, We obtain mercy. We obtain it. It's given to us. Oh, what a difference. The Gospel we preach and we believe tells us about what Christ has done. What He's accomplished for sinners. The Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. Paul said, of whom I'm chief. And every believer feels that way, don't we? Every single believer, we feel that way. I was looking at the Greek word for chief. The Greek word for chief, and it's defined as this. First in time or place. First in time or place. In any succession of things or persons. First in rank. First in rank. So... I got a little excited about that and got on the phone with Vicki this week. And we're talking about it and I mentioned to her and I said, you know, when we say we're the chief of sinners, that means we believe we we're worse than Hitler. And worse than the most vile sinner that ever lived. And I, we continued to chat about that and said, do we really feel that way? And at the end of the conversation as I was about to hang up, Vicky says, goodbye, chief. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> oh, and I called her back and I said, "What'd you say?" And she said, "Well, you said you're the chief." <laughs> oh my! But isn't it isn't it isn't it so true? Where we all feel that way. We all feel like we're the we're the we're the chief of sinners. I love my bride. She just tells it like it is to me. So, no. Oh. But we're just mercy beggars, aren't we? We're just, mercy, we're just mercy beggars. That's all we are. We're bankrupt mercy beggars. Turn, if you would, to First Timothy chapter 1. And we'll look at that little portion. First Timothy chapter 1. You know, we who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we've obtained mercy. We weren't seeking it out. We've obtained it. We've obtained it. And that's humbling. That's humbling for a bankrupt sinner. That, that we've obtained it, but we admit that we've been showing, it, 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 and we rejoice in the fact that 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 He did it all, because we've been showing our 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 bankruptcy, our our utter inability to save ourselves. Look at First Timothy chapter one verses twelve to sixteen. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me. For that he counted me faithful, put me into the ministry. Now every preacher, oh, God has enabled us to preach. We don't do it in our own strength. And it's a, it's, it is an honor. And he puts whom he will in the ministry. Look at what Paul says though. And, and I can relate to this. Who was before a blasphemer? None of you would have wanted to be around me before. And and probably the vice versa, right? I remember hearing a preacher this week and he said, if you could know what my heart, none of you would want to be around. Me. But we're saved. Eh? We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Eh? We're clothed in his righteousness. Look at this. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor. Remember? He was hauling Christians out and sending them to prison and they were dying. And injurious. But look at this. Look at these, look at these four words. But I obtained mercy. Is that not true with every one of us who believe? We obtain mercy. What a wonderful God. What a wonderful God. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm chief. Foremost, first. How about look at look at it again? Paul I love how Paul repeats things, and I know the Holy Spirit had him author this, and it's amazing because, because it's so true as we look at this. How about for this cause I obtained mercy? That in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering. For a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. Oh, the gospel which we proclaim, which 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 I believe, tells us that Christ has redeemed his people and he's done it all, and we cannot save ourselves. The Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's tree died the sinner substitute. And then he rose again from the grave for our justification. And the tomb is empty. It's empty. And he rules and reigns in heaven above. Oh, He has redeemed Zion from their their sins. Remember we saw that he is the king of Zion this morning? Turn if you would to Isaiah chapter 1 verse 27. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 27. Zion's king has redeemed his people. And Zion is another name for the, for the elect of God. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 27. Zion shall be redeemed with judgment. Oh, what a judgment, eh? All the wrath of God fell upon Christ and not upon we who believe. Zion shall be redeemed with judgment in her converts with righteousness. Oh, we're redeemed, beloved. We who believe are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ and God's judgment for our sins fell upon Him. Fell upon Him. And He hath redeemed us. He hath redeemed us. We're clothed in His righteousness. And one day, we who are purchased will be with him forever forever all our salvation rests in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in him alone the next answer to which we will look at when asking the question how do i know my gospel how do i know that my gospel is the gospel is it enables god to be just and the justifier it enables God to be just and the justifier. It honors God's law and justice and it's satisfied in Christ in Him alone. Nowhere else. God's law must be upheld. It must be satisfied. And Christ has done it in the room of His people. Oh, He's done it. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 45 and put your finger in Romans chapter 3. Now, some preach and teach. I've mentioned this. Some, some preach preach and teach, sin or save yourself. And in that case, think of this, those who are, see, are preaching sin or save yourself, how is God's law and justice satisfied? It's not. And it never can be. Because there's no sinner upon this earth can satisfy God's law and justice. None. None. God will only accept one sacrifice for sins. Only one. Just one. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ in his precious blood. Because he honored the law in place of his people. He satisfied God's law with the shedding of his own precious blood. So the question to ask is Does your gospel, does the gospel you believe enable God to be just and just? A just God and is his justice and law satisfied? and does it enable him to be a justifier? where Christ did it all? It's all his work. Salvation is of the Lord. The Old Testament proclaims in Isaiah 45:21 that our God is a just God and a savior. And then put your finger in Romans 3:23. I'll read Romans, or Isaiah 45:21. Tell ye and bring them near, yea. Let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord, and there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior? There is none beside me. Now turn to Romans chapter 3, and Christ fulfills this in the New Testament. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now all there means all. Everyone. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, and remember in, now remember in the Old Testament we saw that He's a He's a just God and a Savior, to declare, I say, at this time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? Now here we go back to that question again. Where is boasting then? Can any man boast in this? Well, we boast in what Christ has done. but, But Paul's here talking about: Can any of us boast in our own doing? No. It's excluded. By what law? Of works. Nay, by the law of faith. <laughs> Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Wonderful news. <laughs> is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing that it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. Oh, How do I know that my gospel is the gospel that enables God to be just and justifier? The next answer we'll look at is to the question of how do I know that my gospel is the gospel is it can save the chief of sinners. And we looked a little bit at that. We touched at that. We won't be on this very long. But the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ can cleanse the chief of sinners, the most vile sinner, of all their sins. And I'm not... Uh, uh, all sins, too. All of them. Every thought sin, and I know what I've thought in my life. Every sin of deed. Oh, my. Every sin of the heart. Oh, my. Every in all my future sins. Our folks say, how can you say that? I've said it before. Every one of my sins was future on Calvary's cross. And what did Christ do? He paid for them all. Paid for them. That doesn't give us a license to go crazy, does it? Nope. Nope. love of Christ constrains us, but all means all below. And he can save the chief of sinners. He can save the most vilest person. He did. He saved me. John Newton said that when he heard about a, a, a notorious drunkard. Somebody, I, I think I've told you guys about that. Somebody ran in and said, said "Oh, do you know such and such and was, was saved?" And he said, "That's not surprising. The Lord saved me. He can save anyone." <laughs> is that not what we say? It is. Oh. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Scarlet. I remember hearing some preachers say, double dye red. Scarlet as red as you can get. And We know what white as snow is like here in Michigan, don't we? You get that beautiful snowfall? It's just pure white. Beautiful. Black sinner may be. White as snow. Oh it's more Though they be like crimson, they shall be as wool, scarlet sinners made white as snow, which pictures us clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Remember in Luke we saw then they then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And they said unto him, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise again rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins, how many? All of them, should be preached in His name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Luke 24, verses 45 to 46. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name only in Christ. Nowhere else. Nowhere else, beloved. Nowhere else. The last answer to the question of how do I know that my Gospel is the Gospel. And I hope this last one will give us so much hope. It will just be an anchor for us, I pray. How do I know that my Gospel is the Gospel? It will keep a sinner saved. Now we need that comfort, don't we? I know we hear it all the time. Lord, help my unbelief. Oh, it will keep a sinner saved. Those God saves, He keeps. Those He keeps, those He saves, He glorifies. Now, religion, again, is always telling you what you must do to be saved and what you must do to keep saved. And that's just a bunch of hogwash. It's just, it's lies. My salvation entirely depends upon the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. Is it not so for you who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? Is not your entire hope, your entire salvation, looking to Christ and Him alone and what He's done? It rests in Him. And those He keeps, those He saves, He will preserve them until the end. Turn if you would, to First Peter chapter one, verse five, and then a verse that I've mentioned many times, but I want to look at what the Greek word says. Uh, Jude, verse twenty-four. I always say chapter one, like there's more chapters, but there's only one chapter. Jude, uh, twenty-four, and First Peter though. We're, first, we'll go to First Peter one five. We are kept by the power of God, beloved. We are kept by His almighty power. The same power that saves us keeps us. And preserves us. And I thank God for that because we know what it would be like if it was dependent upon us. 1 Peter 1.5, look at this. Who are kept by the power of God through faith. You must believe. You must believe. Folks who say they're saved but don't believe in Christ, they're lost. Oh, we're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be re- to be revealed in the last time. Now, the Greek word for keep means this. This was I looked at this; it was marvelous to guard, to guard, protect by a military guard. Either to prevent hostile invasion. I love this one. Either to prevent hostile invasion. <laughs> so, false doctrine flying our way. People whisper and this and that in your ear. He keeps us. He keeps us. Protect by military guard either to prevent hostile invasion or to keep the inhabitants of a besieged city from flight. He keeps us from taking off. <laughs> oh, what a wonderful God. What a wonderful salvation we have in Christ. God keeps anyone from swaying us away from the gospel and away from Christ, and He prevents us from believing the gospel. Oh, it's marvelous! What security the believer has in Christ. And then Jude, let's look at Jude, verse twenty-four. And I know you guys have heard me quote this a lot already. This verse, I just, I, I, I could put it in every message. It's wonderful. It's so wonderful. But I know we want to look at other scriptures too. But this is just a marvelous, marvelous scripture. Look at this. And keep this in mind for what we looked at in 1 Peter. And keep in mind that the gospel, the gospel of God's grace will keep a sinner saved. Will keep a sinner saved. Look at verse 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Now we know that the, unto him is Christ, is God, that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless. We could just stop there. Before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Now the Greek, Greek word here for keep, now unto him that is able to keep you, is again, to guard. All right? But also this, to watch and keep watch. Oh, what a mighty Savior we have. He watches over his people. He watches to guard. And this is another Underline, there's a few more here that I want to read, to guard a person that he may remain safe. Oh, he keeps us. He keeps us that we may remain safe. And then it goes on to say this, to keep from being snatched away, preserved safe and unimpaired. And you know, look what it says. And to him that is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless, unimpaired. No no blemish. To guard from being lost or perishing. What a mighty God. What a mighty Savior. And he keeps his people and he preserves his people and praise be to God, one day he will glorify his people. And we know others who have gone home now to be with the Lord. They're in glory with the Lord. And one day we'll be there too. We who believe will be in His presence because He keeps us. He keeps us. What a mighty God. Now is it any wonder that the believer says all glory goes to Christ. He gets it all. He gets it all.